0: You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. We appreciate Ben leading us in worship this morning and uh, Mark's absence with us today. And if you uh, haven't got a chance, Ben also preached this past Wednesday night as a part of a seminary class he's working on. He did a great job uh, with God's Word. So if you haven't got a chance to uh, to listen to that, you can uh, find it out. Uh, out there on the web, and I encourage you to do so. Well, I invite you to turn this morning to the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. Nehemiah. We just uh, have a couple of weeks or so left in our uh, study of this Old Testament book together. We've uh, been walking kind of through it chapter by chapter. Our theme has been Uh, When God builds his people, Uh, that is the the main concern of of Nehemiah was the faithfulness of God's people. He wanted to, to revive his people, to renew them so that they would pray and act as the people of God, for the glory of God. And so this has given us a great opportunity to talk about what it means for God to revive us, what does spiritual renewal look like? And uh, we've learned uh, so far that uh, when God revives His people, they center their lives around His Word, and we've seen that very clearly in chapter 7 and 8 of Nehemiah. When God revives His people, last week we talked about they confess their sin, and uh, we saw that in chapter 9. That leads us to uh, a third element of renewal, that is when God revives His people, they renew their commitment to Him. They renew their commitment. And that's the subject and the theme of our text today, chapters 10 through 12. And so follow along in your Bibles. I'm going to read a portion of these chapters. I'll be offering a little bit of commentary uh, to help with the context as I read them together. But let's look at first at verse cha- chapter 9, verse 38, the last verse there in chapter 9. It says, because of all of this, we make a firm covenant in writing on the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. And so if you look there in chapter 10, you'll see a list of the names of the leaders in Jerusalem uh, listed. Look down in verse 28. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and His rules and His statutes." Now, what follows there are specific commitments that they make, they made before God. We're going to look at some of those commitments uh, in just a moment there in the rest of chapter 10. But look at chapter 11, verse 1. It talks there about the commitment of the people to move inside Jerusalem. They've just completed the walls, the rebuilding of the walls. Verse 1 says, now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of the ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. And then you have, again, a record of their names that are listed beginning in verse 3, their names, their families, uh, and so forth. Look in chapter 12. Uh, Chapter 12 is the dedication of the wall dedication service, and it begins with, again, a list of all the religious leaders that were involved in that dedication service. Look down in verse 27, I believe it is. Yes, 27. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites and all their places to bring them to Jerusalem. To celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And then maybe the climax of the whole book, the whole story here, verse 43. Look at that verse. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for the opportunity we've had to worship you this morning through singing. And and now, Lord, to worship you by hearing from you, your word. So, Lord, may our hearts be open today. May you open our ears and give us ears to hear. The power of your spirit, your word that transforms, sanctifies, changes our lives for you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use me this morning as your servant. I pray that you would increase and I would decrease and your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. When we left chapter 9, we found God's people responding to God's Word, and they were responding in confessing, confession, they were confessing their sins. You remember they were wearing sackcloth, they had dirt on their heads as a, a sign of their sorrow, their humility before God, their sorrow over their sins. And I re-emphasized this again last week, it's not enough to say that you're sorry Uh, for your sins. Repentance includes both a turning away from our sins and a turning towards God. Repentance happens when a sinner who is uh, convicted over his sin turns from his sin with, with grief and with hatred for that sin and then turns towards God in His mercy, following God, committing himself in obedience to God. And so as they turn to God and they confess their sins here, there is a recognition that they must change, they must renew their commitment to God. That's why that verse is in verse 38 at the conclusion of their confession. Because of all of this, we make a firm covenant, it says. A covenant. We don't think often about covenants uh, today. A covenant in in the Old Testament meant to cut. And it's referring to making a, a commitment to God a promise to God to uh, follow him at all, of, at all cost, if you will, it was, uh, to covenant. One of the reasons we don't like to think of covenants today, I think, is because as a society, by and large, we don't like to make commitments. Uh, I think about uh, how often we might put a sign-up sheet out for an event or something at church and how it doesn't work anymore. People don't sign up. And part of that is, is uh, we might say, is FOMO, you know, fear of missing out. Right? If I sign my name, I might, that might lock me into something. And what if something better comes along? And then I, I, I wouldn't be able to do that, that, that something. Some of it is a fear of being tied down, maybe uh, un- unnecessarily. Well, one of the places we see a fear of commitment, I think, is in dating and marriage. And this has been a long trend, but so many are afraid to commit themselves in a marriage relationship today because uh, they want to be free to experiment or free to break it off in case things don't go uh, like they hoped that it would go. They might become unhappy. So we have many couples that live together. They want all of the benefits of marriage without having the commitment of marriage. Never mind the fact that the Bible Teaches us that the benefits of marriage are to be enjoyed in the covenant of a marriage between a husband and a wife. Another place we see, I think, fear of commitment is church membership. In, in recent years, it seems to be Christians are more and more pleased to worship at a fellowship or a church on a regular basis, but they're not willing to make a commitment to join the church. Uh, you might say that some are just content to date the church rather than enter into a covenant or commitment with the church. Commitment is both costly and sacrificial, isn't it? It costs us something. The the, the idea of cutting, it's it's a sacrifice. Raymond Brown notes some of the characteristics of this commitment here in Nehemiah that we notice in chapter 10. First of all, it was a personal commitment, Personal commitment. There are names of individuals listed there in chapter ten, verses one through uh, twenty-seven. There are fifty-seven leaders, along with Nehemiah, who uh, made this commitment, this covenant. Uh, Verse twenty-eight, the part we uh, read says that the rest of the people were also involved in in this commitment. And so basically each one of these people had to commit that they, that similar to uh, our signature, your signing, your committing, uh, they had to put their personal seal, you know, their, their family seal on this. They're, they're making a commitment. What are they making a commitment to? Verse 29, to join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law. It was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and His rules and His statutes. Again, notice the centering of their lives around the Word of God. They're they're, they're confessing their, their sin as a result of being in that Word. They're renewing their commitment to God, and their commitment is to walk in God's law. It is to do all of the commandments of the Lord. It was a personal commitment. Notice it was also though a public commitment. A public commitment. It was affirmed and recorded here in the presence of many witnesses. Everyone was testifying openly to their their neighbors of the commitment that they were making to God. It wasn't a private commitment, it was a public commitment. I think this is important. Commitments, uh, particularly to God, are an important part of our Christian testimony. So we think, for example, about baptism. Baptism provides Christians this, this form of, of witness which publicly declares their faith. Not privately, publicly declares their faith. Their faith, their commitment to Christ before the congregation, before their neighbor's and their families as they come. It was a public commitment. Third, notice it was a practical commitment. A practical commitment. What follows here in in these verses is not just a, a generalized commitment. Verse 29 says to walk in God's law, to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord. That's a summary kind of a statement. But what follows are specific actions. Specific things that would characterize their lives, that would authenticate their witness as God's people. For us as as Christians, it means that we commit ourselves to the way of life that Christ walked in while he he was here, which Christ exemplified for us in his word. It's not merely that we give lip service to our commitment, but rather we give life service to Jesus. We walk In our commitment, our beliefs affect our behaviors specifically and practically in our lives. We follow in the ways according to the word of Jesus Christ. I I could be frank with you for a moment. So much of our Christian witness is lost, I think, today because we are so indefinite in our character and commitments. We're so indefinite that outsiders can't really tell for sure exactly what we are. Who we are with. How often today I find that, that uh, niceness is elevated in our culture. Uh, and, and as a, a mark, we think as Christians that, that Christians are nice people. And that's all that they are. Is nice people. The fact is there are unbelievers who are nice people out there. Being nice It's hardly a full definition of what it means to be holy as our God is holy. It means that we're to be distinct from the world. That there are specific things that mark us, practical commitments that come out in our lives that make us distinct from the world around us. Who don't know God, who don't follow Him. So as we look at this text this morning, I want you to notice there's at least four of these renewed commitments that they make that made them distinct. I want to draw your attention to them. First of all, when God renewed them, revived them, they renewed their commitment to holiness. To holiness. Verse 30. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy for them on the Sabbath or on a holy day, and we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. Now, what's being said here is that when, again, when, when God begins this work in our hearts and lives, the, the folks here are committing themselves to be distinct, to be different, separate. From the world to be holy and we see it first in their marriages in their marriages they committed themselves to avoid intermarriage with foreigners and the reason for this was not ethnic pride or racism it was spiritual reasons because in the Old Testament the pattern is over and over again marriage to foreign women was the chief avenue by which idol worship entered into the people they led them away to follow their gods instead of uh, the God of Israel. So this was a matter of holiness. When Paul, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, speaks of being unequally yoked in 2 Corinthians 6, he is, I think, at least warning Christians, one great application is that they should not marry non-Christians. Incredibly important. It has nothing to do with race. Again, but everything to do with your spiritual well-being, your holiness, your distinctness. And yet many disobey this word today. It often brings great strain and strife in the marriage and a hindered witness in the world. Those of you who are at the age where perhaps you're dating or you're thinking about marriage and these kinds of terms, this is a critical word to think about and to live uh, they were also to be different, holy, by keeping the Sabbath holy. Again, verse 31, the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell. We will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. This, the Sabbath day, of, of course, the, one of the Ten Commandments was to be a blessing to God's people a time of rest from their labors, a time of worship and to rejoice in God and His goodness to them. But it was also, again, intended to keep Israel distinct from the surrounding nations. They were to be different. It was to demonstrate as a people that their trust was in God alone for everything, And so here we see they're to protect the poor by foregoing their crops to to give to the poor and forgiving all of their debts every seventh year, according to Exodus 23 and Deuteronomy chapter 15. This was, again, a way to set them apart, to to make them distinct. In all of these areas, we begin to see that they're serious about obeying God's word. J.I. Packer summarizes it like this. For the members of an economically depressed community... To forego marrying foreign money and trading seven days a week and substantially providing for the poor every seven years was audacious and costly and self-denying. They were demonstrating their resolve to obey God at all costs, to trust Him completely. So this was a radical expression of repentance, a radical expression of a changed life, to be different than the people of the world around them. Clearly, this at least sets forth a model as, uh, as the way that, that renewed and revived Christians should live today. What we should strive for, Christians marrying other Christians and setting up Christian homes and families to the glory of God. Christians viewing their uh, time and life and health and wealth and abilities and influence, all of those things as gifts from God in which we are stewards and, and which God has always has first claim over our lives. Christians prioritizing the weekly gathering of God's people, just you coming here, speaking to your neighbors that you are different That you come to worship God because you belong to Him and love Him. Christians, being generous in the face of human need. This is certainly uh, at least uh, the part of the picture of what it means to look like to love God with all of your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. This is what spiritual renewal looks like. It it begins to make our lives distinct, different, so that we, we date differently and we marry differently and, and we think about our resources differently and we spend our time differently. All of these practical commitments that, that begin to, that takes shape in our lives. This is God's work in us, and that we might pray and act as the people of God. There's a renewed commitment to holiness. Uh, Secondly, notice they they renewed their commitment to to giving. To giving, verse 32. uh, We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly, a third part of a shekel, for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feast, the holy things, and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. So what we see here is God working in their hearts, there is a generosity that flows from them. Jesus Uh, emphasized this and and taught us this in the the New Testament, that one of the greatest indicators of the condition of our hearts is how we view our money and our treasure. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, he said. And so notice this change. Notice how this this giving reflected this renewed heart for them. Uh, Notice first their giving was uh, prioritized. Their giving to God was prioritized. Verse 35, we, we obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. The first fruits they gave to God. God, God was the priority and God got the first of everything, not the last, not the leftovers. Leftovers. I was reminded of a story this week about uh, John Maxwell told about his 14-year-old son, Joel, who uh, got his first job, and he also got his first official paycheck. And boy, was he thrilled. Uh, He came home, he showed his father that paycheck, he was so proud. He marched into his room where his mom was, and he said to her, "Uh, Mom, he said, you know, I thought about this, I'm not sure I can afford to tithe. Think about that. He has more money in his hand than he's ever had in his whole life. But what happens? It's the same thing that happens to us, doesn't it? All of a sudden, we, we begin to say, I really need this for something else. And, and so, out of, out of the mouth of this 14 year old boy, true to his human nature, comes one of the most important questions for all of us Where do I put God? Is he first? Is he second? Is he fifth? Uh, Proverbs three nine says, "Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce." This is this is a mark of a revived life where God is the priority in your life, and and it's reflected in your generosity. Their giving was planned. It says, Uh, "Notice all the markers, the time markers, verses thirty two to thirty five. Just the words yearly, year by year." Uh, all, all of those terms. The, the Israelites' agricult- agricultural economy was on that annual cycle, and so that's the way they planned their giving. and And the, the idea of planned giving is a great principle. I think that's still in effect today. Paul talked about this in First Corinthians sixteen that it's a good practice to set aside our giving on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, the first day, not the last, but the first. He told us in 2 Corinthians chapter nine, verse seven, to give as we purposed in our, our hearts. Our, our giving, in other words, is not uh, to be considered; uh, it's to be considered and and intentional, not impulsive, not uh, occasional, but but planned, thought through as a part of your worship uh, to God. Notice their their giving third was proportional. Verse 32, it was the third part of a shekel. Uh, Verse 38 mentions uh, the word tithe, which means a tenth. Uh, And I think the point I would would make here is that this was not hit or misgiving. This was not random. This was not... Uh, they they looked to God's word for instructions and, and they gave proportionately by some kind of a percentage. Now, no, no matter where you fall on that, and that's b- broader than I want to go today in, uh, about the percentages, but there's great wisdom here in prioritizing and planning and, and deciding in your heart proportionately what you're going to give to the Lord. All of this, again, points to the fact that their hearts had been changed toward god toward their treasures toward the, the away from their, themselves and their own kingdom to the kingdom of god and so when god revives our hearts we become less selfish and more generous with what we have we they, we begin putting god first in our lives and not second or third and and the orientation of our lives becomes more about his kingdom and not our own that's a remarkable work of god they renewed their commitment to give Third, notice there was a renewed commitment to community. To community. And that is that once the walls were completed, the city of Jerusalem was ready to be populated. And remember, the phrase there is used in chapter 11, uh, verse 1, I think, is the city of God. This was the city whose people were meant to shine forth the glory of God. But who would move into the city now that the walls were completed? Nehemiah 11 says that they cast lots to decide. But verse 2 is what caught my attention. The, the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. In other words, there were some who felt compelled, who thought, you know, I, I need to set aside my own desires and move into the city of of Jerusalem, And it was so special. Again, we have a list of names in chapter 11 there that follows that. And we shouldn't overlook uh, the importance of these names. These were real people. These were real families with real uh, hopes and dreams and so forth who were a part of the a significant work of, of God to reestablish the community of the city of God in Jerusalem. These are folks who were passionate about God's glory. The gospel being present in the community, and so they were willing to relocate their homes to do so. You know, when, when God, uh, re- again, revives His people, they, they are not content to keep to themselves. This whole thing that happens, we, we come to church and we, we, we have moments together, moments with God, and then we, we go back and, and we live our own lives without thought of, of God. This is, this is not to be, no, this is, this is the, the, the point in which we're renewed and we go out and we, we take the glory of God to the community. They wanted to shine forth. To light your candle, as we heard earlier. The glory of God to everyone in their city. I I was reminded again this week of a story I heard a while several years ago actually, Evie Hills Church in Los Angeles, California. Many years ago, they wanted to establish a Christian presence in their community. And so they elected captains for each of the city blocks. Uh, around their church. And there was about 1,900 blocks there at the time uh, around uh, L.A. in that vicinity. And so they had a a captain, a church member, who would be the the presence of Christ on that block. And they would be the ones that would pray for their neighbors and uh, invite them to church and share the gospel with them and minister to them in their needs. And Hill told of what happened on one occasion. There was a, a man in the community who was so put off by the captain of his block who was always invited into church and Christian events and he got so fed up with it, he decided to move across town and the problem was as soon as the moving truck pulled into his new driveway, he was met by another one of the church's captains <laughs> inviting him to church and his comment was classic, he said, my God, they're everywhere, he said. I, I thought about that story, and I was, I was thinking, shouldn't that be the goal of our church? Not to make people want to move. <laughs> <laughs> but, but for them to know, that to so saturate the community with, with the visible presence of Christ, that's what we are. But the proclamation of the gospel, and, and folks would be saying that they're everywhere. But when God renews and revives His people, they, they begin to have a new sense of mission and purpose to be out in the community, to, to, to show forth the glory of God, the mission of making disciples of the nations. Notice one more uh, commitment. When God revives His pe- people, they renew their commitment to worship Him, to worship I haven't decided yet, but I think we're going to come back to this one next week again. But I want to say just a few words this morning about it. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 12. I already mentioned to you, again, the list of names there, the people, that, the religious leaders that were involved in this dedication service of the wall and in fact, if you look at chapter, verse 27 there of chapter 12, you'll see the heading, Dedication of the Wall, if your Bible has that. It says, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And it goes on there. It's fascinating. Nehemiah talks about how he put together two choirs uh, from the region and he, he put them on top of the wall and that gives us a sense of, again, we talked about how wide the wall was. You have choirs walking on top of the walls and they, one went one way around the wall, the other went the other way around the wall and they're singing and they're praising and they're worshiping God all the way around the city. It's really just an incredible celebration of what God, God had done. They sing songs of thanksgiving and praise to God. Uh, It's interesting to me, Paul's exhortation for us to sing in Ephesians 5 is grounded in a thankful heart. Ephesians 5, 18, he says, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Nehemiah writes of that same framework that these worshipers sang with thankful hearts. I I was thinking about that. Church, how much more should we, who are on the other side of the cross and resurrection, who have experienced incredible grace and mercy from from Jesus, how much more should we sing songs of gratitude and thanks to God? We ought to be the most thankful people on the planet. We ought to enter into this room on Sundays gathered together with enormous thanksgiving because of the great God that we worship and serve and what He's done for us in Jesus and we should go forth with thanksgiving at all he's done. Every day, every morning we wake up, his mercies are new, his steadfast love endures forever. It says in verse 43, I mentioned that might be the climax of the book, verse 43 says they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced and the... And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. I love that. Their joy was heard far away. The singing was so loud, it was... Heard beyond the, the, the walls of the city. Church, knowing the Savior should make us sing too, sing so loudly enough that the neighborhoods in which we live and the neighborhoods in which we work and the neighborhoods in which we worship, they should hear us. They should hear the testimony of God's work in our hearts and lives with joy. I was thinking that the renewed hearts that we see here, the renewed people of God, the renewed hearts are difficult to hide. It just flows out of us. Their joy, again, was to God for all that He had done in and through them. That's what happens when God revives His people. So I was thinking about um, how God is working in our church and how he is rebuilding and renewing us after a, a, some long seasons here. Um, but my prayer is, I, I, think, I hope your prayer would be as we, we study this together, that commitments like these would mark our lives as his people. I, I want people to say of us here at First Baptist that, you know, that church is different that church is, there's a new sense of commitment to that church. There's a, there's a new love for God and love for others in, in that church. I can't describe it. I just know that it's not the same. It's not what they used to be. God's renewing and working. I, I want them to say of us that, you know, those people down there are serious about God's word. And when I've encountered them, I have encountered that, that they are pursuing holiness. They are living Uh, righteous lives, and I hear it in their conversations, and I see it in their uh, marriages, and I see it in the way that they're striving after to live for Christ. I want them to say that. I want them to say that those people down there at First Baptist, what a generous people they are of giving to uh, missions and giving to ministries in our our community, giving of their time and and their talents uh, for the fame of Christ's name. Uh, I want them to say, my God, they're everywhere. I want them to say, you can hear the joy of God as they worship him together on Sunday. Look at that full parking lot. Those people, they want to be together. They want want to worship God. We can hear the testimony of Christ from them. That's a renewed church. Will you pray with me about that church? Anybody? Amen? Amen? Will you pray that these things would become so? God may indeed renew us like this. And I know that if he does, it's going to be only because we have centered ourselves around his word. And we have given ourselves in confession of our sins and turning from them and committing ourselves anew to God. Wholeheartedly. Let's pray for that. Well, today we've been blessed with another opportunity to follow Jesus. And for some of you here today, maybe you do not, do not know him in a personal relationship. You've, you've not received him as your Savior and Lord. This is an invitation to you. Will you turn from your sin and yourself and put your trust in Christ alone for your salvation? Will you follow him? This is not a gimmick plea. This is not a sales pitch. This is, not, uh, this is about you... Surrendering your life to Christ. Have you done that? Will you? Uh, maybe you're considering church membership today. I hope that you are by some of my opening comments. If you've already been to a Discover class, which we strongly encourage you uh, to do, and, and met with one of our pastors and, and uh, given as part of your testimony Uh, then I want to invite you today, maybe today, you feel like God is leading you here uh, to, to plant your life and your family here. It is a commitment, and we want to encourage you to make that commitment, and we want to make that commitment to you, to minister to you. And if you are a member, will you renew your commitment today to holiness and to generosity and giving and community and worship? for the glory of God and the fame of his name. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would, you who began a good work in us would continue it, Lord, and continue it all the more. As we sang earlier, that you would take our lives and consecrate them, Lord, for you. We pray that today. Lord, consecrate us as we seek to commit to you. Do these works, Lord, your renewing work in our lives that we might bring glory to you. We might shine forth your glory. We're not a city. We're not Jerusalem. But we're your people, Lord, and we're called to shine forth your glory to the ends of the earth, your gospel. And so, Lord, do that renewing work in our hearts and lives. Help those today that need to make this public commitment that we talked about, public commitments. They might have courage today to say yes to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark, and if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.